but we are the guinea pig generation, and you know what? Sign me up. Hi, this is Alana, and before you listen to this episode, here is this week's notes. In the beginning, we say that we are recording it Rare Disease Week. This episode was recorded in late February in D.C. Right now, we're not at Rare Disease Week. We're in quarantine. So I just wanted to clarify that. As was discussed in the conversation, Antonio's situation is evolving, and we will update the show notes with news that he sends us. Another thing that I just want to know, we're still not doctors. Please don't listen to this podcast for your medical advice, but to have someone to keep you company through quarantine, through your new diagnosis or diagnosis of someone you care about, or just because you want to learn more about rare disease. We have a fun and meaningful conversation with Antonio about the hard parts and the exciting parts of living with Huntington's and osteonecrosis. And he talks with a lot of excitement about things that I didn't know about, and we hope you enjoy listening. Hi, I'm Ilana, and this is, wait, how do you spell that? A rare disease podcast by Patient Worthy. Today we are at Rare Disease Week in DC, and we have a special guest with us. Hi, my name is Antonio Maltese. And I am here. Thank you for having me on your podcast show today. <laughs> Thank you for coming. <laughs> and um, I'm here to represent the Huntington's disease and osteonecrosis um, populations. Mm-hmm. So I found out in 2017 that I had Huntington's disease, which is a rare terminal disease um, n- known as Alzheimer's, ALS, and Parkinson's disease combined. And December 24th of 2019, I was just diagnosed with bilateral osteonecrosis, and I have to get both of my hips removed oh, this wow. year. What um, is the osteonecrosis related to Huntington's? Because they're both so rare, mm-hmm. they don't know if there's any correlation yeah. to the diseases. Mm-hmm. Um, I've asked a couple of doctors, and I see a geneticist on March 4th, mm-hmm. uh, so I'm just praying for some answers then. Yeah. But um, as at least at right now, they they think it's two separate entities that are mm-hmm. affecting um, my body, and they're both just as rare. Uh-huh. Wow. Do they have any idea sort of like what osteonecrosis correlates with or like what causes it? They think it possibly genetic and from steroid injections, mm-hmm. from like pain injections. Oh, I see. And my mom had osteonecrosis in her kneecap, mm-hmm. and so me getting it genetically in my hips isn't too far yeah. off of a hypothesis even though it took like five doctors to get through to talk about genes um every time i mention genetics they turn a cheek yeah and i don't understand why which is amazing when it's like your mom and you and it's like a rare thing that a parent has and a child has yeah and and it's congenitally apparent that something happened and the doctors just a, a lot of them um, I think it's over their heads. Mm-hmm. I, I truly, genuinely, and I mean that with I, I mean that in complete sincerity. Mm-hmm. I think it's just over their head, and, uh-huh. and I think they haven't done the research on it yet. Yeah. And so, gene editing and genome sequencing, and and our DNA scares them mm-hmm. as the nature versus nurture effect. Mm-hmm. How did uh, do you like? Do you have a specialist? Like, how did you find a diagnosis for that? So I had to basically demand an MRI because of how much pain I was in. And I found out about my osteonecrosis through the patient portal. So no doctor Uh even told me I had osteonecrosis. 
I found out about Huntington's disease through a letter in the mail from LabCorp. Wow. And then I found out about osteonecrosis online through the patient portal. Um, so I don't have a specialist yeah. yet. I guess, like, maybe this isn't surprising for a lot of people listening, but it is surprising, I guess, to me that it's, like, being, like, this pretty big information that impacts your life a lot is given to you via a portal or a letter. Yes. Um, Especially a portal, I guess, because it's not even like, oh, we think that this is important enough that we are going to reach out to you. Yeah, I am so flabbergasted Mm -hmm. that a radiologist did not call me with those findings. Mm -hmm. One third of my hips are dead. Yeah, wow. So I'm sitting on like unstable rocks right now. I'm hanging in there. Yeah. But I am flabbergasted. I I don't want to use any other word than flabbergasted Mm -hmm. with how my care has been treated. Mm -hmm. And I just do, and and I pray that other people in the rare disease community aren't going through this, but I know that some yeah. of them are. And it feels like we're just being thrown around or as a rag in the system from doctor to doctor mm-hmm. until we find that holy grail doctor who knows what he's talking about and mm-hmm. is willing to have a pragmatic enough of a re- approach towards mm-hmm. their medical care to do their research. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like we have to psychoanalyze our doctors these days so they don't implode from our caseload. Yeah. And that's a lot to have to do. I'm not sick minifoid. I shouldn't have to be. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're also, like, dealing with the actual symptoms of the diagnosis and life in general. Yeah, like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and that's to everyone out there. I, I really I, I really pray that that's not the case because it shouldn't be the case. These doctors are getting paid, like, $920 yeah. a visit for 7 minutes and 30 seconds of doctor mm-hmm. time, and half of that time is... Probably, if you have a rare disease, probably them telling you information you already know. Yeah, yeah. Have you been able to connect with um, other patients? In, yeah, know? I've connected with the So through the Huntington Society of America and the Huntington's Disease Youth Organization, mm-hmm. they've been integral to like my support. When did you join them? So they actually reached out to me. I did oh, a nice. podcast with a geneticist, uh, Kira, a rising geneticist, Kieran Deneen. And because when I found out from that letter, I was like, I'm not going to die from this. I'm, my doctor yeah. said there's not a damn thing you can do about it. And when someone tells me something like that, I do the uh-huh. exact opposite. I started researching and I started looking stuff up. And then I found that they are these people called geneticists and uh-huh. genetic counselors and people who actually want to help. And so I met, I met Kira Janine and we did a podcast and the Huntington's Disease Youth Organization actually reached out to me. Um, Seth Rotberg actually uh-huh. reached out to me and so did BJ View. Um, and so that olive branch, um, it it was one of the it was one of the many things that saved my emotional stability throughout this entire process mm-hmm. and finding that extended family and the rare disease community and all of us together mm-hmm. because it was it was really it was tough to ha- just get that letter and then have yeah. a family who despises the name Huntington's disease. Yeah, yeah. No, I remember we've talked about that before, but yeah. You're- because it's like Voldemort. It's yeah, like saying Voldemort yeah. in my family. And I'm, I feel like I'm freaking Harry Potter. Yeah. Like, and, I, and, and even Harry says, trouble, he doesn't go finding trouble. Trouble finds him. And uh-huh. it's just, it's, it has, it's how it feels sometimes. What is, has your family's relationship with Huntington's changed at all over the past few years? Um, yes and no. I would say not as much with my dad. Mm-hmm. And I would say my mom has come 
leaps. Mm-hmm. From, yeah. I'm, I'll give her bounds in a couple of years, but she's uh-huh. come leaps. She's come leaps from where she was uh-huh. to talking about it. Is my little brother doesn't talk about mm-hmm. it, and my older sister moved away and wow. doesn't talk about it. Mm-hmm. They all kind of hate the ground I walk on when it comes to getting tested for Huntington's disease, mm-hmm. and my body, my choice. Yeah, yeah. No, I think think it's a personal decision. Yeah, and I wanted to know because deep down, I just. Had I can't explain it other than God just told me that I had it, needed to see it on paper. And so I called my doctor. He didn't even know the test code. I was in oh, his wow. office looking up the LabCorp test code. Uh-huh. I had to give him that, and then I had to get the script to go to the hospital. Um, and doing this all by myself has been so emotionally yeah. taxing. Yeah. And not having people at my appointments. My mom, she went to my first Huntington's disease appointment. And she went to my second osteonecrosis appointment. But aside from that, mm-hmm. and, and there's like hundreds of appointments throughout the year, mm-hmm. it's all by myself. Yeah. And wow. it's hard. Yeah, it's of hard course. To do that. Um, and your mom, did, is your mom affected by Huntington's or? My dad. Okay, your dad. And my dad also has acromegaly, mm-hmm. which is another rare disease um, that affects his pituitary wow. gland. And so he has a tumor in his brain. Wow. And, um, Thing is, though, my dad's not going to die from macromegaly. It's like having diabetes. Mm-hmm. So instead of his insulin being out of whack, it's mm-hmm. his growth hormone levels that are not stable. But they're stabilized now. But he still refuses to even go to the neurologist to talk about Huntington's. And that's a big problem with a lot of families in the Huntington's community where they just don't want to go until yeah. symptoms show or they don't want to go until the word cure is used. Yeah, that's the thing. I, I feel like I've encountered this with different people with different conditions where they'll see like the sentence like there's no cure and like kind of it will get interpreted as there's no point like there's nothing when there's a lot of things in between having a cure and having nothing available as support um what treatment or not treatment options but any sort of like support options or treatments um are available for people with Huntington's so for people with Huntington's specifically um, there are Huntington Society, there are um, Huntington Center of Excellences that are designated across the country um, mm-hmm. as best practices. Um, the currently, treatments are few and in between. Um, they basically treat the symptoms. Mm-hmm. So if you have signs of Parkinson's, they'll throw you on Mirapex. Uh-huh. If you have signs of Alzheimer's, they're going to throw you on a cognitive medication mm-hmm. like Cyprexa to stop your mind. Mm-hmm. from, you know, the Alzheimer's effects. If it's ALS, they're going to give you some something that stops your body mm-hmm. from shaking or from being able to move. So they just treat the symptoms right now. There are a couple of clinical trials that are ongoing using ASOs and um, I think ASOs in certain different vectors. I don't think they're using CRISPR yet on mm-hmm. Huntington's disease. I know they've done... Um, uh, they've used CRISPR on mouse models, and they've been 90% successful in cutting and eradicating all of the bad genes. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually talked to Dr. Nicole DeGlon in Switzerland. That's she was exciting. the first scientist to ever use gene editing on mice for Huntington's mm-hmm. disease. And she said Huntington's disease is the ideal candidate for CRISPR gene editing because it's determined by a single n- nucleotide that needs to be cut, the CAG repeat. Mm-hmm. Um, and we all have the cytosine, adenine, guanine, and uh, thormine in our body, the CAGT. Mm-hmm. And so with Huntington's disease, 
everyone has a CAG, but it, it, once you pass 40 a repeats, um, you have Huntington's, and so my repeat number is 43. Um, but if you go in with gene editing, you can cut that number down to 25. Yeah. And that's what Nicole DeGlan was able to do with mm-hmm. mice. She was able to cut 90% of the, of the uh, mutant repeats. And that's just amazing. That, that brings me hope. Yeah. And I hope that brings hope to the community mm-hmm. because we may not be there yet, mm-hmm. but we will be. And, and, and our generation has the best hope that I've mm-hmm. ever seen yeah. with a disease like this. So mm-hmm. George, George Huntington in 1880 discovered Huntington's disease. It was the first neurodegeneratively mapped uh, disease mm-hmm. ever. And they're just now coming out with clinical trials. It's amazing it took that long for trials. But I think with artificial intelligence, genome sequencing, mm-hmm. and gene editing, and stem cell research, I think those four need to be, I, I, I think funds need to be diverted to mm-hmm. those four categories. Because yeah. artificial intelligence will cut down drug development time. Um, gene editing will cut down taking a medicine every day, whereas you could take it once every, an injection once every four months. Yeah. And once injection for life is what the holy grail of all communities yeah. wish and pray for. Mm-hmm. Um, and then with stem cell research, with Huntington's disease, it destroys your brain cells over time. So if we can turn, if we can bring new life to the brain, I don't know f- physiologically what happens to those memories but we can bring life back yeah. into the brain. That's amazing. Yeah. Like, we are almost there. It is amazing. I think um, something, I guess, noting, uh, Rebecca and I met Antonio, like, a year ago about, yeah. exactly, because it was at Rare Disease Week, mm-hmm. and Antonio had actually asked a really great, great question. Um, I don't remember what it was, but I remember we both, like, made eye contact, and we're like, we have got to talk to him <laughs> after this. Yeah, but, I, I, I'm trying to remember what the question was. I don't it was about oh, it was about um, they were the 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 current administration was talking about lowering drug prices, and mm-hmm. I had talked about the the, the prioritization of lowering copays. Yeah, um, because you can lower a drug as much as you want, but if the copay is still yeah, 50, it is a, it's a very big difference yeah. between sort of like how it actually impacts the person buying the drug. It doesn't impact the payer, yeah. the drug price. It impacts the insurance company. Yeah. So if you're allowing the drug prices, you're appealing to the insurance companies. Yeah, you're not appealing yeah. to the payer. Yeah, which, like, makes sense. And I think it's sort of, like, easy to be um, satisfied, like, when you hear, like, oh, lowering drug prices without sort of considering entirely what that actually means on the patient end of things. Yeah. Um, but, no, uh, we've known Antonio for like a year and I think something that's really um I'm looking for the word I don't want to say I know something that's really great is that I feel like there's always been a lot of excitement about um you know with rare diseases like there are so many things about it that are frightening but looking at it from an excitement based standpoint and being like yeah like there are all of these things that are in development like once we have like AI that can work with the data that we have like we might like, we have no idea what the next 10 years will look like. We don't. And in 2021, they're opening a supercomputer named Aurora 21 mm-hmm. that will be able to simulate. I don't want to get off tangent, <laughs> but that will be able to simulate so many different scenarios. It will cut down drug discovery time by so much. So much money will be saved. ASOs will be able to do it. Personalized medicine is on yeah, the horizon. I think, okay, I figured out how to say what I was going to say. It's not that being... I think why I was hesitating is I was like, it's not that being afraid is an inappropriate reaction or that, like, 
it's something that I, if someone has a rare disease and they're afraid, like that's like totally valid. Yeah. But it's so easy to get discouraged. And I feel like every time I talk to you, you tell me about these things that I've never heard of. And I'm like, wait, like this is, this is happening. There is, there <laughs> like, is hope. There like, is there always are, hope. <laughs> there are, um, like it makes sense to be afraid, but it makes sense to be all these other things too. And to like, look at all of the different possibilities that the future could go. Um, and, um, and also like how much I don't know about that is already in process that like the world is full of all of these, um, projects and development. Um, yeah. And, yeah. and with stem, stem, with stem cell research and, and gene editing, we're, we're going to be able to cure and I will use the word cure mm-hmm. when when it is perfected and when it's enough. You know, I know ethicists get involved and and as they should, and they question what everything is. But it, we are the guinea pig generation, mm-hmm. and yeah. you know what? Sign me up yeah. because I do not want to die from Huntington's disease. Uh-huh. If I die from trying to not die from Huntington's disease, job accomplished. Yeah, <laughs> that's okay with me. Uh-huh. So I will do like I, I when I find the right clinical trial, I'll, I'll join the right clinical yeah. trial. That's why I was all for the right to try. If you have a terminal illness, and you and you're on hospice, you should have the right to try whatever is available that has been deemed at least safe enough to be in a phase one. And um, so I was really glad when that passed because people like my dad who say I'm never going to get off this couch until I hear about the word cure. And then you hear all these pharmaceutical companies being so scared to use the word cure because they're worried about the societal mm-hmm. and psychological impact. Mm-hmm. It's like the yin and yang circle just keeps going around and it's got to stop at some point. Yeah. Like it's got it, – it, somewhere, some way, the, the gap has to be bridged and between patient and doctor and organization, mm-hmm. it has to be a more interconnected process. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not saying that every doctor needs to know that there's a Huntington Society of America – but I'm saying that every doctor needs to be willing to find that there's yeah. a Huntington Society of America. Yeah, that is the thing with like rare diseases is I think a lot of people I know who have had good experiences, it isn't that their doctor came in an expert on everything, but um, sort of going home and taking it seriously. Yeah. Like looking for what's there. And becoming an expert. Yeah. I mean, that's like that is their job. You put your trust and faith into a mm-hmm. doctor and if they're not willing to do the work for you fire them and go get another one find one who will do it for yeah. you because that's try it's so mentally taxing and physically taxing mm-hmm. to have to go back and forth through a doctor yeah. who really doesn't have if they're not doing that for you they don't have um they don't care about you as much as other doctors may and so that so i, I am out there i know you are you and rebecca mm-hmm. and patient worthy are out mm-hmm. there to change that dogmatic approach into a pragmatic approach and like pragmatic conversation and just pragmatic thinking like there is tomorrow there is always hope like we may be we may feel like we're stuck right now because the technology is just beginning Mm -hmm. but that's so freaking exciting like we have 5g crispr gene editing stem cell research genome sequencing The, the sky really is the limit yeah I feel like you're always working on something when I'm talking to you. Do you have any initiatives that you are participating in or starting or like yeah. that you want to tell people about? Yeah. So the Huntington's Initiative, my website, hopeforhuntingtons.com, actually has turned into a nonprofit. I am awesome. um, officiating a 501c3 mm-hmm. and it's named Genesis United. 
and Genesis is aimed at creating opportunities for nations and peoples who are not connected to the North American or European networks mm -hmm. and to try and globalize the rare disease community and mm -hmm. to bridge that gap between organizations. There's a Huntington Society of America and there might be a Huntington Society of Rwanda, mm -hmm. but they don't talk. And if they yeah. do, it's on a rare occasion. And it's not about... It, it, there's, there's clusters of people that it just doesn't make sense because there's no research. And so Genesis United not only will use will be using the internet to find these people, mm -hmm. like the Olive Branch at HD the Huntington's Disease Youth Organization gave me. Mm -hmm. I want to give that internationally. Because these are gonna be some people like people in Rwanda, people in Cairo, who are experiencing internet for the first time and I want them to be able to use it to its fullest potential. And if they need a support group that's mm -hmm. in America or that's in Europe I want to be able to help connect them. And I want to be able to provide grants for re specific targeted research mm -hmm. on where there are deficits of information that we take for granted. Such as Huntington's disease, they tell you it's a 50-50 chance. Yeah. Right? It's not true. In Egypt, because in Egypt, families have interfamilial uh, familiar mm -hmm. ma marriages sometimes. Um, in America, it's 7 out of every 100,000 people will be... Uh, current numbers will be diagnosed in mm -hmm. North America with Huntington's disease. In Egypt, it's 21 out of every 100,000. Oh, wow. And that's because the genetic makeup is different when when uh, the family makeup is different. Mm -hmm. But we have no research into yeah. that. And especially because there, there are different types of governments and there are different types of um, structures that control the medical fields in there. Mm -hmm. But Genesis just wants to be here are our people, here are your people, how can we help? Mm -hmm. And that's all that I want Genesis United to be. I just want it to be a humanitarian effort to get the ball rolling, get the conversation going mm -hmm. between organizations, and we all need to be on the same level playing field, and I think the internet will cure Pangea. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Yeah. That's, a, that's, a, that's a cool phrase. Yeah. <laughs> like, I could get a t-shirt with that. Yeah. <laughs> um, Oh, the internet will cure Pangea. Maybe that will be the title yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. of this episode. Um, be a good title. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Before we go, um, what is one thing you want to leave listeners with, and where can people find you? Um, so I'll go backwards. People can find me at um, hopeforhuntingtons.com. That's H-U-N-T-I-N-G-T-O-N-S dot com. Um, and the one thing that I want to leave everyone with is that there are always people out in this world who want to hear your story. There is Patient Worthy. There is Our Odyssey. There is me. There are rare disease advocates all across the world that want to hear your story. And all they need is you to reach out. Please don't be scared to reach out for help. That is what I want to leave all of you with. Thank you. It was great having you on. Yeah, you too. Thank you Thanks. for having me. All right. Tune in next time, I guess is what you say at the end of a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Usually Rebecca says that for me. <laughs>